Hey, I'm Courtney Brooke, and this is Hustle for Happiness podcast. We are all on this journey to find happiness, and let's face it, it takes work. And honestly, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. This podcast is dedicated to helping you navigate life and cut through the noise. As a certified life coach, recovering perfectionist, and survivor of the foster care system, I'm all about keeping things real. With my unique outlook on life that is truly infectious, we cover everything from achieving happiness and optimal self-care to stories of those sharing their wisdom and expertise. Thank you for showing up for yourself. Now, let's get started. Hey guys, happy Monday. I am bringing to you this week a very, very, very special episode for me. I am sharing my story about adoption, about growing up, going through the foster care system, how that has shaped me as an adult, as a business woman, and as a wife and a daughter, and a sister, and a family member, all of the things, and a friend, right? I am so passionate about this episode because not only is it my 22nd anniversary for being adopted this month, yes, I'm so excited to share with you guys. I personally wanted to commemorate this occasion by telling my story, reflecting on my journey, and acknowledging the fact that I never imagined I'd end up where I'm at today. But two, this is the first time I'm sharing my story publicly. I have been very private about my story up until I was about 29 years old. I shared tidbits about being adopted, but I haven't gone to this extent in detail. And for me, this is just very raw and real. Um, It does get emotional today. I already feel the anticipation of some of the parts I'm going to share with you that are very dear to me. And I'm just, my heart is overflowing with emotions. And I sincerely hope that you will enjoy listening to my story. You know, when I was adopted at nine years old, my mom adopted three of us. So my sister, Holly, me and Jacqueline and my brother and sister, Christopher and Angela were adopted into another family. You know, before that, I was in foster care. I was in orphanages. I was in and out of CPS, Child Protective Services Care, because my mom was abusive. She didn't supervise us. She, it was just the environment that you would expect not good is why we got removed over and over. And from three to nine, I was in and out of her care. Um, They'd find us in traffic. My youngest sister fell from the balcony. They'd find us in the couch freezing because we'd be unattended for days with no heat or blankets. I mean, I don't need to go into super detail, but you can imagine the background and the trauma that, you know, leads up to even to this day, but sets the tone of my childhood. And I don't have much information on my childhood, other than the stories that people have shared or some of the pictures I've gotten as a child growing up, you know, I don't have any baby pictures. I am hoping one day I will. I have requested my file from social services. So if you're a foster care kid, you open a case and you have a file that stays with you until you're either adopted or you're 18 in the system. And when you're adopted, your file gets closed. But if you're 18, your file gets closed because you're an adult, not because you get adopted. It's because you unfortunately didn't get adopted. And that's why they closed your file. You know, there's three ways to get through the foster care system. Going back with the care of your parents, mother or father, being adopted or getting pushed through and 18, you're done. You know, I don't know if many of you know this, but I just found this out that the objective of the foster care system is to be reunited with your parents, not actually to get adopted. You know, when you get removed, it's an opportunity for your family or your parents or whoever has custody of you to get their life back in order. And then they can take care of you again or you go back into their care. Hence why we got removed so many times from three to nine years old in and out of the foster care system and in and out of my birth mom's care because she kept 
trying to get us back, trying to get us back. And CPS kept taking us and taking us and putting us in home. So if you could just imagine for a second the instability that I had growing up. I didn't have a home. Love was very conditional. And there was no predictability in my life and everything was out of my control. I mean, being removed because I don't know why or ending up in a home because my mom couldn't take care of us or being stripped from her care. I mean, the trauma of leaving your mother over and over and over adds up. And I just sit here with thinking of my little girl, your old self, this younger Courtney, and just sending her so much love right now because I can't imagine, you know, my future kid going through that. But yeah, my childhood was full of ups and downs. But, you know, of the pictures that I do have, I'm smiling. I'm happy. I I think I tended to make the most of situations. And I am forever grateful for that. You know, by the time I was five years old, I was told that I was in five different homes. So not five different homes up to five years old. The year I was five years old, I was living in five different homes. Some of them were so temporary. Some of them, they just put me there because they had nowhere to put me and my sister. And that's just, I could be sad about that. I could be upset. I could play this victim card. I could be you know, playing pity on myself, poor me, or why is this happening to me? And, you know, I choose the later. I choose to, you know, not let my past define me. Know that I didn't have stability and unconditional love growing up. You know, that doesn't define me today, right? So I don't want you taking pity on me. I want you to just sit in my shoes as I walk you through my journey of growing up to be me. And, you know, I literally had nothing, was raised with nothing before nine years old. And, you know, I brought that with me because people always ask, Courtney, why are you so happy? And I go, because I had nothing. You know, I was at rock bottom. I mean, rescuing my sister out of a dumpster, having lived in five homes at the age of five. Like, I'm a fighter, you know, I'm a fighter and I'm here for it, you know. But, you know, I had nothing. And that's that's why I'm so happy is because everything else is so great. I have so much abundance. It's insane. So I was adopted. Fast forward. Um, I'll go back to my childhood on a different episode, you guys, just because I am waiting to get more information on my childhood. I've actually requested my file from CPS, Child Protective Services, And it should be coming in the mail any month now. So we'll go open it together. We'll talk about it. I'll share with you guys if you want. Please pray for me that there's a baby picture in there because I'd love to see little Courtney. I want to see what I look like as a kid. You know, this file is a vault. It's going to be a time capsule of what psychiatrists were saying about me at the time, how many homes I was in, the names of the homes, what they say. Like, guys, this is the most I'll ever know about my childhood because no one seems to know except for, you know, what they think. And I want to know for sure. I want to put the pieces together. And I'm excited to bring that to the podcast. So I'll let you guys know when that happens. So let's just fast forward to just being adopted. I was adopted at nine years old. My mom and dad brought us into their home at nine years old. My sister was 11 and my younger sister was 10. But I'm going to just share my story from here on out on my perspective. Of course, I'll have my sisters in part of my life, but I'm sharing my story from here on out. So when my mom adopted us, she shared with me just recently, actually, that they tried to push us through the foster care system. We were deemed on our file as unadoptable, meaning We're not adopt worthy. No one wants us. We're a hard case. We're older. So anyone older than three years old is not adoptable. Like they are adoptable, but they're kind of, we're labeled non-adoptable. People want babies. So that's exactly what they tried to do to my mom. Let me preface this before we get into this. When I say my mom, I mean my adoptive mom. My birth mom is not my mom. She did not earn the title at all. She... Just let's just keep her as this character that just brought me into this world. And here I am. But my adoptive mom is my mom. And 
You know, I'm going to say my mom a lot because I have a relationship with my mom. I don't have a relationship with my adoptive dad. Again, it gets complicated, but I have real life experiences, you know, like just because we're adopted doesn't mean I have a perfect family now too, you know? I say my mom a lot because I'm not close to my adoptive dad. I never really had a close relationship. And later on, they ended up divorcing and I just hung out with my mom. I was just always closer with my mom. So back to being adopted, they tried to push us through the foster care system, meaning we were deemed unadoptable. We were nine years old. I was nine years old. And my mom said she had a dream about us. I just heard it three years ago. And she had a dream about us crying and she like thought it was us. She goes, I got to, I have to adopt these girls. Like, this is my purpose. This is my destiny. This is what I meant to do. So she did just that. She pushed for us. She fought for us. You know, they kept saying, no, you want babies. No, you want babies. These girls aren't good. Too many problems. Most likely you won't have a relationship when they're older. These girls are not good. And they just kept saying that. My mom told me that if it wasn't for her, fighting for us. I mean, I don't know where we would be. You know, just think about it. We're getting kicked out at 18 years old, but we were nine. So I was halfway there. I was already old, you know, so she did adopt us eventually, but I just want to put emphasis on this part of the story. Like she fought for us. I've never had anyone at that time in my life fight for me. This is the first time someone stood up for us. And it's a, it's beautiful. Like I just, someone took a chance on us and they told her no, you know? So I just, it's really, I just love that part of the story because it's like, where would I be if it wasn't for her? Where would I be? You know, if like, and I just bring it back to life. Like I have to adopt, you know, where would I be with like, I need to change people's lives. I want to be this coach, you know? So she took a chance when no one would. And our odds, the chances of us, me being where I am today are next to none if it wasn't for her courage and fighting for what she believed. So after she adopted us, she actually told me another story that it took us two years to feel like we were going to stay. She said it took her two years to convince us that we weren't getting sent back. I guess we had our bags packed or we were always ready to move. And so for me, nine years old to 11 years old, I still was under the impression that I was on to the next home. And for two years, it took her to convince us. And, and in those two years, it was probably a lot I worked through. Like the pictures I see are happy. But deep down, I was a sad, angry child that had intimacy issues. I was scared. I was constantly like OCD. I had to have things particularly in a away. I always had to have my bed made. And I just for two years, I just didn't think, you know, I just I go back to again, that nine year old me and just the only way I could create control in my life. And the only way I coped was through the control of my OCD tendencies and to be particular and making my bed was another one. And to this day, actually, you guys, I make my bed. Like to this day, I make, make my bed fully. It just, it's, I'm, I can see my childlike tendencies still to this day. And I just think that's so cool. But growing up, mom, mom and dad did a good job of putting us through sports. I was in gymnastics. I was in cheer. I was in dance. I was in all the things you can name. I mean, we started late, but she gave us this opportunity to do what normal kids did for the first time in our life. I was an athlete. I had a consistent schedule. I went to the same school and, you know, I was making friends. And actually, now that I think about it, before we even went to school, I'm going to back up for a quick minute because this is a big part. I can't believe I almost missed this. Um, she gave us the opportunity to name ourselves when we were first adopted. So she said, we're already changing your birth name or your last name. Do you want to name yourself? And she said this to me and my sister. She goes, do you girls want to name yourself? And I go, what? Really? Like we can change our name. And for me at that time, I was like, heck yes. I want nothing to do with my past. I want nothing to do with my name. At the time, my name was Catherine Marie. And I changed it to Courtney Brooke. And 
I love my name. I okay. So you guys, I I had three options that I was down to. We, I mean, I looked on online for names. I looked on the books. I mean, you name it. I I looked everywhere. I had to make sure it was the perfect name. So I had Caitlin. I had Victoria, and I had Courtney. I picked Courtney, but I thought Victoria was it. And my mom said, no, that's not you. And I'm glad she did that because I love my name. Hence, it's on, it's my business name. It's my coaching business. It's my Instagram. It's, it's me. And it's when I see that name, I come back to that time of when I was first adopted and how it was the first time in my life where it was an opportunity to just rebrand myself and let go of the past and be just done with it. I didn't want my past to decide my future and again, it's another choice. We, I mean, you're going to hear that word a lot today, but it was a choice that I made to just be at peace with my past and it's time to start over. So that was a story when we were first adopted that we had the opportunity and I named myself. And then growing up, yes, we were in sports. Sports were a great way for me to feel connected and a sense of self-worth. It was a, it was a great way for me to express myself. I mean, at the time I was, yeah, the pictures, all the pictures, I look happy, but I, I remember I was an angry kid. I mean, I just, I had a lot of things I needed to work through and I had intimacy issues and, you know, besides sports, I was in therapy, but those were my only outlets to really express myself. And that really allowed me to process my trauma and let off some steam at the same time. I remember so vividly, like, if I was messing up or doing something bad, my mom would take away gymnastics. And I was like, Mom, that's the only thing that makes me express myself and allow myself to let go. And, you know, sports were that for me to process my past. I mean, I did therapy, but gymnastics cheer. Like those are my things. You know, I did have my fair share of like humps to get over. You know, I, like I said, I had intimacy issues. I also had learning disabilities. I had just, I have dyslexia. I have slight form of it. I've gotten so much better at it, but dyslexia, I have ADHD. I had comprehension issues. You know, I asked my mom, why am I, why am I the only one going to tutoring? Oh, none of my friends do it. And she's like, sweetheart, like, you had a different past. And I go, well, why? And she said that I was never read to as a child. And I, you know, when I hear that, I can get upset, but I just, I worked harder. I had the choice. Instead of letting it bring me down, I knew that if I wasn't read to, I can't go back and change the past. So I worked harder. I went tutoring. I stayed late after school. I saw my teachers. I, you know, I did what it took to not be set back, but to keep going forward. You know, I, I didn't want to blame all my problems on my past and stay the way I am. I wanted to keep evolving and leading into high school. I did great. I had good grades. I still, all my friends were taking AP class. You remember those AP classes? Yeah. Those are the advanced placement classes. And all my friends were in them and I was only in one or two because I had learning disabilities and I wasn't as smart and I was always working extra harder than most kids in my grade. I wanted to keep up with them. You know, I compared myself a lot. I I always thought I wasn't good enough. And, you know, growing up, I never told anybody that I was adopted. Mom never talked about it. We just we were adopted and we moved on. I was normal. We were a family. Um, it wasn't my conversation to teachers, you know. I never told a teacher, oh, it's because I was adopted. That's why I can't do this. You know, I just worked harder. I didn't need being adopted as my excuse. I didn't want to be seen differently. I didn't want people to look at me and judge me. Oh, she's adopted? Oh, poor her. I didn't want people feeling sorry for me. As I went through my high school, like, I did... Academia was always something that was really, really hard for me. I didn't make it define me, but... It was something for me that I knew I had the choice on. It was a choice for me to either work harder or let it pull me down. And I was not letting it pull me down. Um, some things that I also were really good at, though, was I was cheer captain. I was a freshman on the junior varsity and varsity team. Only two freshmen that year were on the varsity competitive team. And that was me and another girl. So 
When I worked my butt off, I worked my butt off and I deserved it and I was happy about it. It was rewarding for me and I know that the hard work will come. I've always had a hard work ethic and I didn't let my past again define me. I had the choice. I worked my butt off in school and on the summers, I worked in high school. I remember turning 16 and that summer, I was like, I made getting a job my job. I wanted to work. I wanted freedom. I wanted independence and I wanted to have my own money. And I remember showing up to Sun. PacSun was my first job ever. I showed up to PacSun at the North County Fair Mall, now Westfield, in Escondido, and I showed up every week, the same day, the same time, to follow up on my job application. I made it, getting a job, a job, and she gave me a job after, I think, the fifth or sixth time of me showing up because I didn't have any experience. But again, it was a choice. I wasn't going to let no experience stop me or inhibit me or prevent me or create fear that I wasn't good enough or I couldn't do it. I knew I could do it. And if not, well, I'd get better at it. Like I don't need to be perfect. And so I worked. I worked hard at school. I loved cheer. And, you know, I had friends with everyone. I, I hung out with a good group of people. I didn't hang out with the wrong crowd, you know, Yes, I drank in high school, senior year. I mean, I was going. I mean, gosh, I have so many stories, and I'm not getting into that. We can, that should be like its own like episode. But I remember one time, like football season, junior year, and the senior girls did not like me. They were the same grade as my sister, and I was the younger girl. My house was teepeed, egged, forked, forked, like putting plastic forks all over the lawn. Um, my house was newspaper shredded all over, and these girls would do it every Friday. Eventually, my mom hired security, but my sister and I were bullied in high school my junior year, and it got bad, and it was brutal because they picked on my sister, and I don't know what exact reason why, but she was just because she was quiet, and then they hated me because some of the senior guys liked me. Regardless, like... They weren't smart enough at the time because, I mean, we're in high school, so, but we found their name from the shreddings. We found their name on one of the letters and it said their name. And so my mom's like, do you know this girl? And I'm like, yeah, that's so-and-so. So my mom, being the mom she is, gathered every trash, all the eggs, all the forks, and put it in a bag except for that one piece of shredded paper with the full name of who did our lawn and tacked our house. And we delivered it back to them. And mom said, this belongs to you and gave the trash back. So they came to the house the next day and they dropped it off and they had to say sorry. And the thing I said, I, I mean, I accepted their apologies, but I was like, leave me alone, leave my family alone Holly didn't do anything to you. Leave us alone. Like, this is our home. And to this day, I mean, that was the last time our house was teepeed and egged, and they left us alone, you know? Um, I remember that incident so clearly. I, I do. It's I was bullied for working my ass off and, you know, being liked and... I wasn't used to that. I mean, I could see it, but like at the time I was just like, there's something wrong with me, but it was just jealousy. It was girls being mean, mean to me, picking on my sister and the young child that protected her sister in foster care and orphanages came out on those girls. When I told them to leave me alone, I became the projector. I do that. And I, I still work on it to this day because like James makes fun of me. He always, whenever there's injustice in the world, there's Courtney. Like whenever I see something going wrong, like I want to step in, I want to help, I want to save, I want to fix it, you know? So I've been working on that. But yeah, I stepped, I had to like say my piece to them and they, they left us alone. I mean, I'm glad they did. And I'm glad I spoke my piece because we didn't deserve it, you know? My parents did get divorced and they were separated in high school. And that was the first time I saw our family falling apart. You know, we're adopted. And I mentioned earlier briefly that our, my parents got divorced. And 
I didn't really care. I was in sports. I was in school. I didn't really give a time. And so my coping mechanism was just to get more busy. I joined track and field. I did more. And now I don't really remember the divorce. You know, my, they just told us we were getting a divorce. And the changes of the divorce probably impacted our family. Actually, I know it did. You know, my younger sister Jacqueline and my mom drifted apart. Holly left the next year. Um, It was my senior year and it was, Holly left back to, she graduated high school and Holly went back to my birth mom. Um, I haven't seen Holly since. I haven't really talked to her. It's been since 2009 since I've seen her. And it's sad, you know? because she's going down the same path as my birth mom. And she's, I mean, she has five children just like my birth mom. And, you know, tragically, my niece passed away last year due to abuse from my birth mom after being in a coma. And Holly's now running from her again. But like at that time in high school, and I was graduating, I wanted to leave and go on my own. And I knew I had to follow my dreams. Again, I had a choice to protect my sister from life or follow my dreams. And I chose to follow my dreams. I chose to pursue what I wanted to do. I still feel a sense of guilt when I reflect on my sister's departure. And I realized that I couldn't have prevented it. I really couldn't have, you know, she is on her own path. She's an equal. She wants my life. Like I have to see her as she's choosing this too. She chose to go on her own path like all of us and has the freedom for her own choices. You know, for those of you experiencing this or like experiencing someone else doing their own journey, even though you don't necessarily approve of it or like it or don't understand it's It's hard to let go of the feeling of responsibility for the actions for those we care for. And that's what I had to do. You know, we're all on our own journey and we have to make our own mistakes and decisions. And that's what Holly did. So my parents got divorced and within two years, we all just kind of separated. I don't talk to my adoptive dad really here and there. And... Jacqueline doesn't talk to my adoptive mom. So now I like we're all split up, you know, and the divorce really did affect us. And I kept going on my path. I went to Sacramento State um, after I graduated high school. I cheered in high school. I moved up there the summer of being a senior or I guess after graduating high school And it was great. I loved it. I learned so much about myself in my early 20s. I learned a lot about, you know, relationships and guys and self-esteem and, you know, food. I had a thing with food. I gained 15 pounds the first year and I was a cheerleader. So I had the pressure of body and image and, you know, some girls were just so fit and I had that pressure. So not only am I figuring myself out, but food and boys and Gosh, 20s were so hard for me. I remember the first guy I was really serious about. I was 20, around 20, 20, 21 years old. Yeah. And let's just say his name was Dave at the time. So Dave was the first man I ever saw cry. I I didn't understand why he was crying. And this is where I learned empathy. This is where I learned like crying isn't weak. I mean, I remember calling my mom and saying, Mom, why is he crying? And she said, his mom died, Courtney. Like, that's a big deal. And I, I remember feeling so empty. Like, I don't understand. I, I guess I've never been that close to someone where I'd cry and they die. You know, I just, I've never had that opportunity to have, to get so close to someone. And I broke up with him three weeks before his mother passed. And I remember at the time, like I was sacrificing my own happiness and, you know, staying together wasn't an option, staying together. And it would have never been a good time. Like his mom going through breast cancer. My birthday was that week. Two weeks later was Valentine's Day. So I was like, there's never a time. And I wasn't going to stay for the presents or, you know, stay until his mom passed. We just didn't know. And I was sacrificing a lot for my happiness. And 
you know, I wanted to just keep pursuing and I chose to break up with him. It was hard. You know, we remained friends after. It was an amicable breakup. It wasn't like peace out, bye. But I was there for him during the passing. But I just, I learned so much in that relationship about myself, my peace, my own happiness. Like there's not going to ever be a time when it's going to be good enough. So you just have to do it for you. And it's not personal. But I also learned about men and crying and me learning how to empathize. You know, I grabbed the book Brene Brown, Vulnerability, and read it for the first time and learned what that word even was. I remember dating guys in college that, you know, I never really shared my adoptive story. And finally, when I felt comfortable and sharing and just leaning into vulnerability, because I was just discovering that word, and I was 21 to 26, I would say a wide range because these guys would end up using it against me. Like when I would want to do something on my own, oh, Courtney, you're always doing so many things. No wonder your mom didn't like you. Or, you know, no wonder your mom gave you up. You're hard to be with. And would just put it in that context and use it against me. So it really taught me to not share my story. And so I kept not sharing my story. And no one ever really knew anything about that, you know, it really squashed me. And, you know, I even see comments on Instagram now, even like, why are you trying to have kids on your own? You're adopted. Shouldn't you be adopting? And it's like, there's a whole stigma around adoption that I've learned. And like, as I was doing this podcast and producing it, a lot of stigma around, you know, language and judgments around foster care kids. And I learned a lot about that not to share. I was shamed in not sharing. I learned that sharing was bad because people would use it against me. And, you know, it was hard, you know, not only learning about myself, but then learning about financial independence. There are so many challenges uh, from financial independence to relationships to just learning about me. You know, some of the things I learned was from like FOMO, fear of missing out to self-love. Like I used to love getting invited to parties and social media was just coming around then. And so I'd see someone hanging out with so-and-so and I'd be like, oh, if they didn't invite me, why didn't they invite me? And, you know, I just was chasing the feeling of being accepted. And I believe that missing out means that I wasn't included. You know, missing out was that I wasn't part of the cool crowd or the, that they didn't think of me. And I, Again, the abandonment issue comes up with they didn't think of me or they left me behind. I'm not good enough, you know, where I'm not good enough. And I started to just and then I realized, you know, that the people and the events I surrounded myself with were impacting my mental health. And it was my late or mid 20s. I was 25 when I started realizing this and even more Till I was like 28, 29, and even now, but I shifted my focus to positive and loving things in my life. And this really affected my self-worth in a good way. Like, I was like, wait, I was reading things like you are who you hang out with. I was reading self-help books for the first time. I was really understanding what this self-love personal development was for the first time. And it resulted in change. And I started to see it, but I didn't really understand it. And It was cool, but I was still not like there wasn't as much talked about as it is now as it was then. But the shift in my mindset made my life so much easier and just more positive with my goals and my values. So I encourage you like develop the relationship with yourself, develop it with like learn through guys, learn through relationships, learn through your jobs like Early 20s was an opportunity for me to explore with a child like mine, like get out of my comfort zone, embrace the uncomfortability because you got to do it now before like you don't know, you know, like if you don't explore with a child like mine of curiosity, how are you going to ever know? I remember from 23 to 28 or even 16 years old to 27 years old, I was at a different job every six months to a year. I was trying every single job. I really wanted to explore and learn about myself and what I liked. You know, self-care, I was trying every type of workout class, really making friends around positive things that I liked outside of drinking or just going out. I really, like, 
took care of my physical well-being with exercise and sleep instead of just going out. Like, don't get me wrong. I did have my fair share of partying when I was turning 21. I mean, I went to Vegas six times in one summer. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. But I mean, that just goes to show I was hanging out with partiers. It was just not my crowd. And again, I had a choice. I had a choice that I could go down two paths. The one that I meant for, the one that I'm longing for, the one that fulfills me, or this one that is a short-term gain of, you know, materialistic items and looking cool and hanging with the cool people. I experimented with weight, and though this is, I've always been infatuated with looks, my mom said growing up, and I gained, like I said, 15 pounds that summer of freshman year. And I learned the hard way about food. I mean, I love eating ice cream every weekend and I had to cut that out, but I had to learn. So, you know, I lived in different places. I had different roommates every year. So just try new things and keep an open mind in your 20s. And even now I still do, like explore. At the late 20s, I ended up moving back to San Diego where I lived in Little Italy and I got my first apartment. Um, I had shitty credit. I just showed up one day. I saw this ad on Craigslist. It was in downtown or not downtown, but Little Italy of San Diego. And I had pretty good renter's history, but no credit. And I showed up. It was my first time living alone. So I always had roommates in college. And this was my opportunity to just be on my own. I packed up my car that summer, the month after I graduated college. And I hit the road. And just try new things. Before moving back to San Diego, I was dating a guy at the time. Let's name him Phil. Phil bought us a house. And I told him at the time, I was like, hey, I'm moving to San Diego after college. Like, let's come with me. Let's go. He bought us a house. And I was like, wow, that is the most selfish thing you can do. You know, buying us a house. In my heart, I knew that wasn't the right answer. In my heart, I knew I couldn't stay in Sacramento anymore. I mean, I was hanging out with the party crowd. I needed a change. Uh, my heart was calling me back to San Diego, and I had to go. I mean, we had a great relationship. We really did get along, and we were compatible. But my heart was longing to keep going, and I didn't settle, so I just kept going. You know, I could have lived the suburbia house life at 23 years old and settled, and but I... I always would have said, what if I went to San Diego? What if I went? Why didn't I go? You know, and I had to fulfill, I had to follow through with that. And I packed up my car a month after I graduated and I hit the road to San Diego. I couch surfed that whole summer. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I worked at, a, at two restaurants, bartending and doing bottle service the whole summer. And, you know, I just, lived at people's houses on their couch. Um, I didn't need to have a plan, though. I was used to not having a plan. I knew it was all going to work out. I know everything always worked out for me. Why wouldn't it work out this time? And that's what I did. I just followed my heart and my dreams versus knowing that I, following my brain, which is saying you need a plan. No, you don't need a plan. Just do it. Just go for it. What do you have to lose, you know? And so I couch surfed until I got my studio. That was, this is the first time I lived on my own. It was meant for me independence. It was time for me to take that next step in my life to live on my own and see what that was like. You know, I used to think that living alone was that no one liked you and, you know, that I didn't have any friends and I must be sad and lonely if I'm living alone or, you know, I, I used to think that and then I was like, you know, I'm going to live alone. I'm ready. And it was the best decision I ever did. I discovered more about myself. I loved just having my own peace. It was so quiet to come home. I came home to me. You know, I did what I wanted to do when I came home, and I loved that. Um, I shifted my perspective. You know, nowadays, I cherish the time I spend alone, and I relish in it 90% of the time. Like, 90% of the time, I hang out with myself. So, again, loneliness does not equate to being sad. Loneliness is not bad. Like living alone is good. And there are so many benefits. And just shift your perspective from loneliness to just self-enjoyment. And it's beneficial. Some things that I've learned about living alone is, you know, living alone allows for introspection and personal growth and development, you know. 
It allows for the opportunity to pursue personal interests and hobbies without the need to compromise or coordinate with others. I mean, you can just leave dinner whenever you want to leave. You can go to dinner whenever you want to go to dinner, you know? And it's just empowering to be in your own company and not to rely on the validation or the approval of others. I love that. Like, I am doing this for me because I want to. And that's that's a simple, you know? So I lived in Little Italy for seven years. I eventually moved into a one-bedroom apartment just right above. I mean, I kept the relationship with my landlord good. I said, when you have an opening, can I move into a bigger place? And I did just that. I moved upstairs, and I lived in there for about three years. And then I met James, you know. Um, but before meeting James, I was in my late 20s now. So I was 26 years old. And money was tight. I was bartending. I was working in an office. And then I was also had my side hustle going for about three years at that time. And it was in marketing. I did marketing and social media for med spas, day spas, and plastic surgeons, as well as having a full-time job and another side hustle. Um, I was working nonstop. I loved to travel. So I was like, you know, I need to make more money. I wanted to travel. So... That being said, my friend told me about donating eggs. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, you can make money off of that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool because, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to have a family. So, you know, I can donate my eggs because I don't have any intentions on having a family. And she gave me the connection. It was at the San Diego Fertility Clinic. I donated my eggs. But really what was pivotal for me during this moment was the fact that I thought I wasn't good enough. You know, I thought that being adopted, I was rejected. I was sent back because there was something wrong with me. And they did a series of tests at the fertility clinic and I had great eggs. They cleared me to donate. And that was really eye-opening for me because it shifted my perspective. And you know what? I thought, maybe I am good enough to have a family. Maybe there is nothing wrong with me. You know, it really opened my eyes that my body was not damaged. My mind just had a perspective of being adopted. I wasn't good enough. And it squashed that for me. You know, they pick premier eggs and they picked me. I got picked. And so I donated my eggs. They're now with a Swedish couple, a Swedish gay couple. I love it. But it taught me that I, and showed me that I had the thought to have a family. You know, I, it allowed me to think beyond again, where I've always had that energy of I'm not having a family. I'm just going to work hard and travel the world and just be the aunt that loves on her nieces and nephews, you know. And around just eggs and fertility and family planning, you know, I recently got a comment on Instagram, which stemmed like me taking a break from social media was saying that, why are you trying to, you and James trying to have kids when you're adopted? Shouldn't you be adopting? And that really not triggered me because I wasn't upset, but what a simple mind, one. But two, people that are adopted can have kids too and be have kids that are genetic. You know, especially me not knowing my background, like, but being, having good enough eggs, like for the first time, like, yes, I can do this. But, you know, there's such a stigma, like adoption is only also for infertile families. That's not the case either. My mom could have had kids but she chose that she wanted to adopt us. Um, so I just need to squash that. Just because you're adopted doesn't mean you can only adopt. And that also doesn't mean just because you aren't adopted, you can't adopt. Please, let's end that now. <laughs> so then James and I met, late 20s, and we actually have an episode on this, so check out our story. But James and I met, we met on Hinge. We traveled a lot. We actually had an open relationship for nine months in our relationship. And at the time, I was working in an office and had my side hustle in marketing. I wasn't fully into my own business, but I had the idea, but I just didn't understand it. And so before meeting James, I really never considered the idea of entrepreneurship. You know, I was raised to believe that hard work and dedication would lead to success However, James and I began dating and his travel was heavy with work and his schedule was just hard to coordinate. He was always in a different place. And, you know, when I requested time off, it doesn't mean that I didn't want to stop working. It was just I wanted to take time off out of the office to be with James. And my current job 
didn't allow that. You know, they wanted me to be in office. So I really needed to make a decision. You know, at the time I was working in aesthetics and marketing for a med spa plastic surgery center. And I enjoyed my job. I had a great boss, great environment. I was working my way up. I was high as I could be, but I was not able to see James. And I had to take a bold step and quit my job. And James really showed me entrepreneurship and pushed me, you know, and it was really cool because I took that leap. And eventually that job that I was working at at the time, I made them my first client. So that was a really cool plus, you know, I fostered the relationship and brought them along my journey of starting my own business. And they helped me along the way, like they supported me in my business. And at the time, social media was frowned upon in med spas and plastic surgeons, like it wasn't really brought to the market. So I saw a huge opportunity in the market to bring my marketing to other surgeons in the area and Orange County and San Diego region. I mean, it was a risk, but I had the drive and I had the resources to make it work. Like I knew what I was doing. I, I had already been doing this for six years. So I took the leap and I went full time into branding and strategy for med spas and plastic surgeons. I mean, I worked 60 to 80 hours a week and I cried a lot more, but gosh, it was so fulfilling and I loved every minute of it. And I got to see James. So it was rewarding and I'm glad I did it, you know. Another thing that James just is so amazing and has taught me so much is, you know, he was the first guy to allow me to embrace sharing my story. You know, he thinks it's the coolest thing that I was adopted. And please listen to that episode of us sharing our story because you can hear it in his voice how loving and sweet he is and how he embraces me and all of me. And we both do that for each other, you know. After dedicating nine years to the aesthetic marketing industry, I made a decision again to pivot my career. I made another choice and another decision that was so scary. During the pandemic, I worked and founded a nonprofit where it was really, really fulfilling. And I, you know, I was doing aesthetic marketing for nine years at that point. I was like, you know what? I need a change. And this really drove me, you know, at the time I was working with a life coach and I still work with her and James works with her now, but she really changed my life and taught me vulnerability and communication. And she was the one that ultimately pushed me to get my certification. And after 3,900 hours of work and dedication, I am now a certified life coach. You know, I eventually want to work with kids in foster care. I want to mentor them and be the voice that I never had. And right now coaching does that for me and I will do that with foster care kids. And I just want to live this fulfilling life and be the belief and support system for others that I never had. And that's really why I got out of marketing and switched my career. You know, I really believe it's important to find out what's fulfilling and brings that fulfillment to our lives. You know, life consists of a balance of work and personal growth and spending time with loved ones. If someone told me at the age of nine, if I would be where I'm at today, I wouldn't believe them. Like, I'm like, no, you're lying. I am so blessed, beyond blessed, to have such a supportive husband. And we cherish every moment of our relationship. You know, it took some time, but we got through it. You know, my husband, James, has been my rock. He's embraced me for me and allows me to mess up and allows me to not be perfect. You know, true love isn't about perfection, but about forgiveness and acceptance. And for the first time in my life, I felt that. And now he's my husband. You know, it's not always easy, but I'm grateful for a safe and supportive environment and to be vulnerable with James. You know, you guys ask me a lot on Instagram, especially is how did I land someone like James or where can I find someone like James? Like he's so perfect. And I'm like, you know what? I know I I deserve a man like James. And I know he feels the same way. Like when you say, how did I land it? I was deserving. I've worked my ass off my whole life. I've not settled. I've been there for myself. I've kept that open mind and it paid off. Um, But I'm so grateful that I listened to my intuition and held out for the right person. You know, 
even when it was difficult. I mean, we had an open relationship for nine months, you guys. Like, that was so hard. He would tell me about the girls he would go on dates with. Ill. I mean, yes, I'm your friend, but come on. You know, I started focusing on my own needs and desires when those things got tough and everything started to fall into place. I don't want to give the impression that James and I have a perfect life, but we have our own struggles to overcome. You know, finding love can be complex and it's a journey. Um, What helped me was just being open to experiences, focusing on myself and not settling. But most importantly, just being patient, like the right person takes time. Whether someone finds their person before you doesn't mean that your person is not on their way to you. So please be patient. Don't rush into anything and trust that the right person is making their way towards you. You know, as I wrap up this episode, I really appreciate you guys. You know, I feel like I haven't even touched on the things, but, you know, I gave you a brief overview of, you know, who I am. And thank you for reflecting on my journey with me. You know, I encourage all of my listeners to start sharing your stories, whether it's through conversations or with loved ones or through the public platforms like social media or YouTube or at school, you know, remember that your story has the power to inspire, educate, and change others, you know, by sharing it, you're contributing to a more compassionate and inclusive world. So let's continue to have an open and honest conversation about adoption, about alcoholism, about insecurities, be open and let's work towards a future where every child has a supporting and loving home. Um, sharing our stories is a way to build connections and create a sense of community, whether we're adoptees, adoptive parents, or just someone who cares about other people. You know, we all have a role to play in supporting and uplifting those that have been impacted. So thank you for being a part of this important conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode has touched your heart in some way. If you have questions, please DM me please message me. I know there's probably so many questions out there and I'm happy to answer. I hope today's episode left you better than when I found you. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and tune in every Monday to kickstart your week and set your weekly intentions with me. You can find me and HFH on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok or online at heycourtneybrook.com. I firmly believe in the power of sharing. If you know someone else who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And remember, when you work on you, I get to be there.